I want to go ahead and apologize for um, if things seem to run together. This is the third time I've preached this in the past like four or five hours. And so when you've done that that many times, you're, you're walking through an illustration in your mind going, did I say that five minutes ago or did I say that last service? So if I repeat myself, I want to go ahead and apologize. How many people, I just want to see what I'm dealing with tonight, taking a survey. I'm not going to make fun of you. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not. How many people Christmas is your favorite holiday of the year? It really is your favorite holiday, okay? Wow, it's most people, it's okay. Hands down. How many, how many people you have a favorite holiday other than Christmas? You know, you're not a Scrooge. Okay, yeah, 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 like my birthday, stuff like that. I get, I get it, I get it, get it. <laughs> I like Christmas, I really do. And, and it's, it's in my top three. Um, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are awesome, but it's, it's the things around Christmas Eve and Christmas Day that I don't particularly love because, well, they're messy. Like, it's messy. For the past week and a half to two weeks, if you have driven on that road right out there, you have gone backwards in your walk with Christ because it's messy. Am, am I right? Yes, amen, yes, yes. Somebody sent me the other day, and it, it, by the way, I, I'm going to get you back, and that's all you need to know. I'm not calling out names, but are you using your stage to threaten people? No, I'm promising. It's not a threat. Because when you send me a car with glitter in it, it's messy. My dogs are glittered. My, my kitchen floor is, I had a snack the other day that had glitter on it. I just, I, it's, it's messy. Everything is, like when you unwrap the presents, it's messy. The day after Christmas, when you realize all that stuff you got out, you got to put it back up. Yeah. Heidi, you, it's, it's messy. She's got 17 trees, y'all. Um, I'm not making that up. It's, it's, it, Christmas is messy. And so one of the things that I think we've done in the church is we've kind of cleaned it up. We cleaned Christmas up. It took us 2,000 years but we took one of the messiest stories in the entire Bible and we sanitized it to a nativity scene that we have in our houses with some really clean shepherds, some really clean, even the hay in the barn that Jesus was born in is clean. But Christmas, well, Christmas is messy. In fact, it's so messy that the story I'm about to tell about Christmas, and by the way, I'm telling the Christmas story. The more churched you come, like the more of a church background you have, the more disturbed you're gonna be, because it's messy. Now, stay with me for a second. If you know anything about baking a cake, you, you, like baking a cake, you gotta put the ingredients out, right? You gotta get the flour and the sugar and the eggs and the milk. My grandma didn't need a recipe, but I gotta have a recipe and you gotta put it all together. You gotta give me about 15, 20 minutes to put some stuff together. And I promise you by the end of the message, we will be at the Christmas story. And the reason I'm saying that is because we're gonna go through some passages of scripture that's gonna make you so uncomfortable and I love it and I've, I've been waiting for it. And I've done it both services and people got so tense and I know looking around the room, some people are gonna be like, ugh. By the way, if you brought a friend, this is your first time at Second Chance, don't apologize to them till after the message, okay? Because about halfway through, you're gonna be like, I'm so sorry, this is. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all the way back and we're gonna look at Christmas in a way that I'll guarantee you, you've never seen it. But after this message, hopefully you'll never see it the same. We're gonna talk about what I call the box of shame 
And the first person we're gonna talk about is a woman named Tamar. Now, even if you have a church background, you probably don't know about Tamar because Tamar is not a lesson that we could teach in Sunday school because it's kind of hard to extract some good from what happened in Tamar's life in the moment. Y'all aren't ready for this. Are y'all ready for this? Okay, y'all said y'all were ready for it. So in the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, let me pause. <laughs> Judah is not batting a thousand on baby names. He named his son Ur. We don't know how that happened. Judah, what do you want, what do you want to name your son? Ur, okay, we got that. We wrote that down, Ur. So that's how Ur got named. I'm just guessing. Ur, to marry a young woman named, named Tamar. What was her name? All right, y'all listen, this is good. But Ur, <laughs> but Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Let's pray and go home. I'm just kidding, we got more, we got more. So, so God killed Ur because Ur was, was wicked. He was wicked. And then, then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, which, once again, you got a second son, what do you want to name him? He's like, oh, man. Okay, write that down, Onan, we got it, we got it, we got it. Onan, go and marry Tamar as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. So in this society, if, if, you, if your brother died, you would like go marry your sister-in-law and have a child with her and, and that child would grow up and it would be your, your dead brother's child. It, you had to go like, enter, like Kentucky, just think Kentucky, all right? So <laughs> people from Kentucky going to get married, hey, they don't have the internet. And, all right, so let's keep reading. Now, now watch what happens, watch what happens. Stay with me. So, um, but Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. Nobody has that ornament. <laughs> and if you do, that's disturbing. Now I'm getting some weird looks. I wanna pause real quick. All I'm doing is reading the Bible. You okay with the Bible? Yeah. The, 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 the book, the, oh, oh, I love the entire Bible. All of it? You want that verse on a t-shirt, huh? It's in the Bible, any translation. This prevented her from having a child, follow the science, right? This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother, but the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. God's like, Oprah, you get to die, you get to die. You got God's killing everybody, all right? So, so, <laughs> So then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son, Sheila, we are 0 for 3 with baby names, named him Sheila, is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die like his two brothers because you got two dead boys and one common denominator. Her name is Tamar, right? So Tamar went back to live in her father's home forgotten, abandoned, and alone. You ever felt that way? Yeah. Like life happens. And whether it's things that we did or things that were done to us, we, we feel forgotten and abandoned and alone. And the problem is that when we feel forgotten, abandoned, and alone, we typically become desperate. And I don't know 
about you, but in my experience in life, just in my own personal life and, and working with others, desperate people often do really dumb things. Am I right? I've never made a great decision when I'm desperate. Never. So Tamar got desperate because she's like, I'm, I'm not going to have a baby and this guy ain't going to let me marry. So she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get him back. So she, so put that on pause. Judah's wife died. One of his buddies come to him and say, hey, let's go, let's go to where they're shearing the sheep, trying to cheer him up. And it would be like a walk from here to Greenville. They're kind of walking and Tamar finds out that Judah is walking on this particular path. So she dresses up like a prostitute, disguises herself. The Bible says Judah didn't recognize her. And he walks up to her and says, I want to have sex with you. And she said, what are you going to give me? And he said, I'll give you a goat, which I guess that was the going price back then. I don't know. And, he's, and he said, I don't have a goat, but I'll send you a goat. And uh, she said, well, you're going to have to give me something so I can hold on to it so I can make sure I get the goat because the goat evidently was very important. And so, so the conversation, what kind of guarantee do you want? He replied, she answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. Now to us, we're like, ah, but this would be equivalent to today's society saying, give me your driver's license and your social security card. There's not a woman on the planet that that's hot. That that, I mean, uh-uh, because if I gotta give up my driver's license and social security card and I don't get those back, I gotta go to the DMV and the government, I would rather just die in the road, right? So, but she said that's what she wanted. So Judah, Judah's evidently desperate too. You got thirsty Tamar and thirsty Judah and they meet up and so Judah gave them to her. He had intercourse with her and she became pregnant? Well, this is a problem. Makes Father's Day pretty confusing, doesn't it? Say happy Father's Day to your father and your grandfather. Which one is he? No, it's your father and your grandfather. It's the same guy. It's your father and your grandfather. Once again, Kentucky. You got Uncle Daddy, all right? So, so this, is, this, is a, this is a problem. Would you, would you agree? So, so Tamar got desperate. Judah was desperate. They have sex. She gets pregnant. Judah finds out about it and says, bring her out and have her burned alive. And Tamar said, that's fine, that's fine, but uh, I got the ID of baby daddy before you burn me alive. And Judah goes, oh. He actually says this phrase, you are more righteous than I, which let's be honest, Judah, you didn't set the standard really high, but, but, but okay. So he lets her live. And then, and then there's the story of the birth, which is, I just included this because I'm a visual person. And when you see this in your mind, you can't unsee it. And it's... <clears throat> When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins because they didn't have like ultrasounds and stuff. How would you love that, ladies? Oh, you don't, surprise, surprise, right? So, so when she was in labor, <laughs> one of the babies reached out his hand. So she's in labor and all of a sudden you see like a hand come up, waving at everybody, hang loose. I love y'all, right? And so the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing, this one came out first. Um, but then he pulled back his hand. And out came his brother. <laughs> what the midwife claimed? How did you break out first? So he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and he was named Zara. Is that a weird story? But it's in the Bible. 
Tamar, desperate, lonely, abandoned, forgotten. We'll just kind of leave that there. Let's go on to something way less controversial. We'll go on to Rahab. Um, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. They were wandering the desert for 40 years and, and, and things kind of got crazy. So they go into the promised land. The first city they're gonna go to is Jericho. And if you've got a church background, this is the city they marched around seven times. But this, you didn't learn this lesson in Sunday school. I'm gonna show you something in the scriptures and it's bothersome, it's gonna bother you. But at the end of the day, if you get mad, just go home and read it in your Bible and calm down, you'll be all right. Because the Bible says what the Bible says. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at a case you grow. He instructed them, these were his instructions. Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. Was this very clear? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, watch this. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed the night there. Anybody ever seen that in the scripture? You, do you think it was an accident? They just happened to walk into Jericho and happened to walk into Rahab's house. Oh, oh, you a hoe. I didn't know. It's the Bible, y'all. Now, now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, because once again, we sanitize the Bible, right? They, they, they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. They didn't have a Bible study, y'all. They went to the house of a prostitute. Now, let me pause real quick. Let's talk about Rahab. Why was she a prostitute? Like, what happened? I've worked with students. I've worked with children. I've worked with adults trying career planning, you know, mapping stuff out. And I've never had anyone say to me, one of these days, I just want to be a prostitute. I want to sell my body. I want to be used. I want to be seen as an object and not a person. I want to do something that I'm never going to be able to forget for the rest of my life. Nobody's ever said that to me, ever. So what happened to cause Rahab to be a prostitute? Well, she was either sexually abused or sexually promiscuous at some point in her past, and she got desperate. She had no hope. She thought that that way of life was the only way of life. And it wasn't what she chose, but she felt trapped in a lifestyle that she couldn't escape. There's some people in this room. You feel trapped in a lifestyle that you can't escape. That's not prostitution, but it's pills, it's porn. It's something that you wanna quit but you can't seem to quit. And the, and the problem with it is because Joshua, when he finally gets to, by the way, the king of Jericho finds out that the guys are at her house and sends people there to get them and she says, they're not here. And then the guys tell her, hey, when we come in and take over Jericho, we're gonna spare your life. And by the way, we'll spare the life of anybody that's in your house. So they come back and watch what Joshua says. He's He's, he's talking to the people that are getting ready to go into Jericho. And Jericho, he said, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others. Okay, let me pause right there. Did you have to say Rahab the prostitute? 
Joshua, really? Isn't it, isn't it weird that there was a time in the scriptures where people not only called you by your name, but they also identified by you by what you did? I'm so glad we've came so far in, in this. There's some people in this room that you feel like when you walk into certain spaces, you're not known by your name. You're known by what you did. What you did at a certain time in your life that, listen, if you could go back and do it again, you wouldn't make those same choices. I know I wouldn't, but it happened. And we're known as, he, she's Rahab the prostitute. She don't get it to be just Rahab, no, no, no. In fact, it gets to such a level that just a few verses later, Joshua says, meanwhile, Joshua said to the two, two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out. Didn't even call her by her name, called her by her sin. There are people in this room that you either let other people, or some of us do it to ourselves, call ourselves by our sin, not our name. Let's keep moving. We'll go, we'll talk about Ruth. Ruth is a couple chapters after the book of Joshua. It's four chapters. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating read. It starts out with a couple that lived in Israel and there's a famine in the land. So they, they moved to Moab. Now Moab was, God told people stay away from Moab. The Moabites were not good people. The, this is how the Moabites got their start. A man had sex with his daughter they had a baby and named it Moab. Where did you hear a story like that? Story about Lot, Genesis 18 and 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's messed up, but that's how the Moabites got started. Once again, we didn't learn that in Sunday school because you can't do a coloring sheet and explain that to mom and dad. <laughs> the Moabites were considered to be very sexually immoral people. They were, um, they, they were idolaters. If the Moabites, if their crops weren't growing, they would just go throw a baby in the fire, literally sacrifice children. These were not good people. And God said over and over again, stay away from the Moabites. But then this couple, they get desperate. They go to Moab. They got two sons. They marry their sons off to Moabite girls. The two sons die. And then you got this woman, Naomi, and she's stuck with one of her daughters-in-law named Ruth. And the Bible tells us, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. See, Ruth got labeled. Ruth got labeled because of where she had been, where she came from. And it's kind of connected to Rahab, but just there are some people here, some people watching online, you've let people label you, you've let society label you, you've even labeled yourself as something that you used to be or you used to do. In fact, it was so bad in the next chapter, the author of the book of Ruth is telling us, Ruth chapter two, verse two, one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, why you gotta say Ruth the Moabite? Why can't you just say Ruth? Why, why do you have to say where she's from and what she's done? Why do you have to associate her with where she used to be? This is the reason some people don't come to church anymore because you, you get around people and they're always calling you by what you used to be and by what you used to do. In fact, it was so bad that a guy named Boaz showed up. I think Boaz is an amazing name. 
Boaz shows up and he's like, whoa, how you doing? How you doing? Who is that? In fact, in fact the Bible says a few verses later, then Boaz asks his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replies, she's the young woman from Moab. Didn't even give her a name. Didn't even give her a name. Let me pause real quick. Some of you are going, this is a Christmas message? Yeah, but we got one more uncomfortable story to go through. Y'all ready for it? This one you're kind of familiar with. It's King David, the guy that killed Goliath, but he's also known for something that he shouldn't have done. But I'm gonna just show you from a different vantage point tonight. I just want you to see it. Um, her name is Bathsheba, and she's appropriately named once we read this story, right? Second Samuel chapter one, chapter 11, verse one says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites, and they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, don't you wish you had a midday rest? I'm gonna get into my midday rest. David was in his midday rest. David got out of bed and was walking around the roof of his palace as he looked out over the city. He noticed a young a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. I just need to ask a question, and this is, this is church, and you can be honest. I need you to be honest. This is a church where you give an honest answer. In most cases, does a woman know how to get a man's attention? Yes or no? Absolutely. It, it, every service has happened. The, the majority of the people that have answered have been women, and they've said yes. And the men are like, no, 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 shut up, dude. You look every time. <laughs> so David always gets blamed for this. David, and I'm not saying David's innocent, takes takes two to tango, right? I mean, that's, but, but when I was in Israel and I was doing some touring over there with a Messianic Jewish guy, he was, he was talking to me about this particular story. We were actually standing at about the place where they believed David's palace would have been. And he was walking me through how women during this time would put their, their bathtubs on the roof because they didn't have hot water. So the, the sun would heat the water and make the water hot and they would go up in the evening and take a bath. But for modesty purposes, they would put a covering over the bathtub so nobody could see them. So Bathsheba knew that she was in the sight line of the palace. She knew what she was. She wasn't a little sweet, innocent Bathsheba. I'm just out here taking a bath. Mm -mm. She knew what she was doing. She's like, oh, there's the king. <laughs> Can't even try, it's just, dear God. So he sent someone to find out who she was. Hey there, girl, what's your name is? Like, and he was told she's Bathsheba, Bathsheba, get it? Oh yeah, she's Bathsheba. Today we would say shower Sheba, but the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and. David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Thank you for that bit of information that we didn't need to know. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Well, now we've got a problem, but they took care of it. Don't worry. They covered it up. You ever tried to cover something up? 
has to be having to cover it up. Well, they had Bathsheba's husband. They had him murdered. And then him and Bathsheba married, and she just became one of his wives. They had a baby. And that baby passed away. But they had another baby. And then we get to the Christmas story. See, all of this, don't, don't miss this. All of this is in the Old Testament. The very first book in the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. And the very first story that Matthew tells is the Christmas story. Now, if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew or even the first book of Matthew, you know he tells the story, Matthew 1.18. He's talking to Mary and Joseph about virgin births and all this other stuff, Matthew 2, the Magi. But, but the Christmas story starts before that. Just for years, I missed it. I missed the Christmas story. The Christmas story starts with the genealogy of Jesus. And this is the part we skip right over. But watch what Matthew tells us. Matthew, oh, I forgot this. See, I told you I'd forget something. In this box, we see sin. Would you agree we see sin? Tamar, sin, yes or no? Rahab, sin, yes or no? Bathsheba, yeah, okay, we got that. We see sorrow. We see sorrow in this box and I see sorrow in this box because there's people in this room that if we could just go back and do it all over again, we'd have made a different decision. And then we see shame. Shame in this box and in this box. So we get to Matthew and Matthew says this, Matthew, says, this is a record of the ancestor of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Let's say Messiah on three. One, two, three. That means, that means Savior. That means King. That, that God knew we needed a Savior, and God knew we needed a King, somebody to actually lead us in the right direction. Watch this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was... Huh. Tamar. Tamar got mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, there were a bunch of women before her, and there were a bunch of women after her, but... Why would you, if you could mention any woman, why would you mention Tamar? That story is messy. Well, it's simple. No Tamar, no Jesus. Jesus can literally work through any situation and take a mess and turn it into a miracle. That's what he does. Stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me. This is in the genealogy of Matthew. Ram was the father of that guy, and that guy was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab. Wait a minute. You mean Rahab the prostitute? Nope. She was Rahab the prostitute in the Old Testament. See, this is the New Testament. And this is the genealogy in Christ. And in Christ, the label that the people tried to put on you is your sin is gone. And in Christ, see, in, your old, in the Old Testament, you were called by your sin. In Christ, you're called by your name. 
Jesus knows us by name and he calls us by name, not by our sin. But I'm sure these two are just coincidental. Let's just keep reading and see what happens. And Boaz was the father of Obad, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth the Moabite? Nope. The label that people try to put on you in Christ does not stick. We've got to, listen, the quickest way to lose sight of what God says about us is to start listening to what everybody else says about us. Especially our Facebook friends. I found out a lot of stuff. Do you know how much stuff I found out about myself on Facebook? (laughs) Another message, another time. Um, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. The one who had not the best of intentions. Messed up about as bad as you could mess up. But here we are in the New Testament. Only four women are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Only four. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. It's proof that the people that Jesus came from is the people that Jesus came for. And in this box, in this box, we see forgiveness. We see forgiveness. These, the other th- remarkable thing is in, in, this, in this particular genre of literature, women were hardly ever mentioned at all. The fact that we- women were usually forgotten and put to the side, the fact that women were mentioned is a miracle. The fact that these four women were mentioned, but God is trying to show us through the genealogy, the part that we skip, that in Christ, there is forgiveness. She's not Rahab the prostitute or Ruth the Moabite. This stuff right here, these people are forgiven, and so are we. Forgiven. Isn't it crazy? I didn't even say this to other services, but I say my best stuff for y'all. Isn't it crazy how we can pray a prayer and we'll wonder if God heard it for days. But we say a cuss word and we apologize for the next three days because we know God heard it. Isn't it crazy how we, we automatically think God hears the bad stuff and doesn't hear the good stuff? But every time we crack open the Bible, every person we see in the scriptures is flawed and needed the forgiveness of Christ. That's the only reason they're a Bible hero. Not because they were good, but because God is good. In, in this box, we see freedom. Let me ask you a question. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, do, do you think that Rahab and Tamar and Bathsheba and Ruth are gonna be hanging their head? No, there's celebration. There's celebration. If, if you could see, because I know some people probably don't, feel like you're free right now. But if you can see how God's gonna take that situation that haunts you at night and use it for good, if you could see the plans God has for you, you would walk in freedom. And not only would you walk in freedom, you would walk in celebration. I'm sure in heaven, they're celebrating. In Christ, we can celebrate. Why? Because we've been forgiven and been made 
new. I'm talking to somebody who's rest. Listen, that thing that you can't let go of was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And I love Christmas and I love the story, but at the end of the day, he didn't stay in the manger and he didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay in the tomb. He ascended to the right hand of the father and he is more powerful than anyone or anything in the universe. And he knows us by name. See, if, if we don't have, if we don't have this mess, we don't get to see this miracle. And if Jesus came through all of this, Jesus can come through whatever we think separates us from him. Oh, it's the Christmas story. But it's, it's a more beautiful version of the Christmas story than I've ever seen. Because it reminds me that Jesus is my savior and Jesus is my king. I have no idea, I have no idea what it would have been like to be in Bethlehem in a shepherd's field. Now I have been to Bethlehem and I've been in a shepherd's field at night. And to be honest with you, it was pretty scary. You hear coyotes, I mean, it was, it was awkward. But the shepherds are there put a pause, the shepherds were not welcome in the temple. They couldn't go to the temple because they were dirty and they were unclean and they were outcast. God looks down and he goes, those are my people. I'm going to announce the birth of my son, not to the priest, but to the shepherds. And it was a silent night, but the silent night didn't stay silent for long. Because when the angels showed up, the, the silence turned into a celebration. And shepherds realized something that night. Because the angels told them a Savior has been born. A Savior and a King. So Jesus, we take the next few moments just to pause and reflect. Celebrate the fact, God, that you took a silent night and you shattered the darkness with light and you stepped into this world and you lived the life that we could have never lived and you died the death that we should have died and you took our place and in you we have forgiveness and we have freedom and we can celebrate because you're our savior and you're our king and we ask this, in your name, amen. How many people are thankful for a savior and a king named Jesus? Before you leave, let's pray together. Father, I just wanna thank you. God, that you took the messiest stories in the Bible and you turned them into miracles. God, we know if you did it for them, you can do it for us. All over this room tonight and watching online, maybe you feel like your life is a mess. And right now, right now, you just need to tell God, God, if you can turn my mess into a miracle, I'll follow you. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you've done some stuff you regret and you just need to tell him right now. 
Maybe you're here and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You never asked Jesus to come in your life. And this is the best night in the world, Christmas Eve 2022. I wanna invite you to ask Jesus to come in your life. I don't care how messy you are. He, listen, if he can save me, he can save anybody. And so if you need Christ in your life, you need him to be your savior and your king, tonight you can ask him. I'm gonna invite you to pray and I'm gonna invite you to pray out loud, but here at Second Chance, you don't pray out loud alone because we're gonna pray with you as a Second Chance family. So if you're here tonight, you know that's the decision you need to make. You need to ask Jesus to be your savior and your king. You pray this with me and Second Chance, let's pray this out loud with them together. Just say, Jesus Christ, I need you as my savior. I need you as my king. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I am yours. I confess you as Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come in your heart, you just prayed that prayer in a minute, I want you to do me a favor because I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. I want you to put your hand straight up in the air, just straight up in the air and, and keep it up so I can see it. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Leave them up. Leave them up. Father, I want to thank you for hands. Jesus, that you save people all day. Father, I thank you that you've encouraged people all day. I want to thank you, God, that you are our Savior and that you are our King. Jesus, that you saved us from the penalty of sin and that Jesus, in you, we are saved from the power of sin and that one day, Jesus, that we will step into your presence and be saved from the presence of sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your birth and your death and your resurrection and your promised return. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and we thank you for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church on Christmas Eve? Y'all have a great week and we'll see y'all back here on January 1st.